everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Daryl Grove is not with me today because instead I'm joined by Jordan Farrell and Adris Argandawal of the Oakland Roots. Jordan is the team's head coach. Adris is one of the team's co-founders and is, amongst other things, the chief marketing officer, but wears many hats. I'm going to guess both of them wearing many hats. Guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. So we obviously have lots to discuss. I want to hear about Roots, about reopening, about everything you all have been up to. Uh, but I want to start in an obvious place, which is jazz. Uh, Jordan, I listened to uh, an interview you did with Roots Radio where I believe you said you were in the jazz band or a jazz band. Uh, what instrument were you playing? And for people like myself who would like to like jazz, is there a good entry point? Is there a musician you usually recommend? Um, yeah. So, I mean... I- you can start with Miles Davis and go go from there. Um, All right. That that would be my bias because I was a trumpet player, um, but uh, and I was in quite a, quite a few different bands. But um, but Miles Davis is usually a good entry point, and then um, a lot of people can find their niche. So jazz for me, everybody's gonna gonna listen to it and hear it and feel it in a different way. Um, so it's each their own. There we go. Adris, uh, where are you on jazz? This is the obvious line of questioning that I'm assuming you both anticipated when we were doing this, uh, when we were prepping this interview. Uh, well, yeah, I think Jordan probably knows a little bit more <laughs> in that domain than I do. Um, I'm actually, a, I'd say, a, a new school cat, man. And I know that uh, a lot of the, the newer hip hop and rap obviously stems from um, the music of jazz and that genre. So um, I'd say th- there is a correlation and a relation somehow, some way, but I wouldn't say go. that I'm as uh, as knowledgeable. Uh, but I know <laughs> of Duke Ellington. I know of Louis Armstrong and, and some others. So, you know, respect the, the movements that created hip hop and rap that we see. Yeah, today. there you go. I think uh, Illmatic by Nas has like a lot of jazz samples mixed in, mixed in. So maybe we can combine those go. and we, we find a happy medium. Uh, but I, no more music questions, I promise. Instead, uh, I want to talk about Roots. You all obviously have many different projects underway. But I want to start with the fact that we're recording this in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, mm. It's one of the shadows currently hanging over most things. There's a couple different ones. Uh, as a club, what changes have you all had to make in your daily operations? And how have you been weathering the storm thus far? Yeah, you know, great question, man. Um, you know, this is obviously something that affects sports organizations tremendously. We thrive on human interaction and uh, experiential marketing, right? And so when you completely uh, rip that away, um, it, it makes uh, a lot of sports organizations think about what the normal is and how it's going to change in the near future. And for us, you know, we've been in existence for um, almost a year now. So, you know, six games in and we're, we're experiencing a whirlwind of, you know, emotions and different stimuli. And this is just one of them. And so for us, we were two games into the season, the spring season when COVID hit, um, we had to put a park on the season. Spring season got canceled. We've been obviously working really hard to have the staff shift the way in thinking to try to build demand and revenue in different creative ways. And we've been rolling out a new podcast called Roots Radio. We've been doing um, kids resources called Little Acorns. We've been out in the community telling black, uh, black stories uh, about black men and women in our community um, that are of influence and have um, incredible stories to tell. Um, and we've been doing a lot more than that. I mean, obviously spreading awareness of, of uh, 
resources in these times. East Oakland specifically is a highly impacted place uh, in terms of COVID. Um, and most of the folks impacted are, are Black people. And so for us, it's important to uh, provide resources that we can work with local organizations to react quickly and try to help the environment in which we live in. Um, and obviously game day has changed now that we're going into uh, the fall season and we're not going to be having fans in the stadium, which is an absolute bummer. I think we have some of the most diverse fans in, in America, quite frankly, and um, we're definitely going to miss that. But we're rolling out cardboard cutout um, cutouts of fans in the stadium that will then adapt and, and create an art installation afterwards that will live in the airport and several other iconic Oakland locations. And we're trying to get creative with broadcasting and miking up goalkeepers and refs. And obviously, you know, the way we've built this club is to challenge the norm of how American soccer has been built and um, and how it exists and how it markets, it markets itself. And so we will continue to challenge that norm as we go into this new reality. Uh, but we're lucky. We have an adaptable uh, team that loves, um, you know, the nature of change. So, blessed day. I don't know if Jay has anything else to add on on the front of soccer, but yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, the the bummer about the whole pandemic is just that the um, football is for the people, and it's it's really a community uh, sporting event, and we want it to be that. And we we know that right now even communities all across the country, but especially Oakland really needs um, sport uh, as a way to get over this and, and get through this. So it's a bummer that we can't do that. But um, as Adris said, uh, there's so many other opportunities. If we're, if we think outside the box um, that we can, we can take advantage of uh, on the football side of things. We'll just, uh, you know, we'll have to feel the fans presence uh, a whole lot differently. So. And then Jordan, for you as the coach, uh, I heard you talk a little bit about this again on Roots, Roots Radio, which Adrice mentioned, uh, but I wanted to get more into it. Uh, what have you been doing to keep the squad intact, to build unity, to kind of keep the, the guys working at a time when it's, it's very easy to sit on the couch and not be working? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it went in phases because right when we, right when we, uh, it hit, you know, we'd played two games. And so we were, we were expecting that this would happen. This would, um, be a short break and we'd return right back to playing games in the spring. Obviously, as time went on, then, then the spring season, uh, getting canceled changed things for us. And then, you know, just the timeline of when we were returning, um, was constantly, uh, constantly in flux and, Week after week, we learn a uh, different timeline, um, different uh, different uh, effect of the of the virus on on what we were doing and what the rest of the year was going to look like. Um, so with that, we we spent a lot of time uh, first and foremost, kind of on the culture of our of our team, um, the things that we wanted to maintain, even though we weren't together, um, and how that influenced the, the the second part, which was the individual uh, individual workouts keeping the guys fit and healthy um, and, and maintaining their fitness um, was really important when they were all away and we were in isolation. Um, and then we're, we're lucky that it, just a couple of weeks ago, we returned back to those individual workouts um, here in Alameda where we train. Um, and then, and, and now we're back to a little bit more of group training. So we're starting to, to ramp up as we prepare for uh, the rest of the year. Um, so it's been, it's been phases I'd say. Um, and, but it's nice. I mean, very relieving, I think for, for our players, for sure. Um, they're used to 
being with their team every day. Um, and, and for, for ourselves as a staff to just get back to the field the last couple of weeks. Uh, you mentioned the culture of the team and trying to make sure that everybody's on board with it. How would you define that culture? What does your vision for it sort of look like? Yeah, it's a really, really strong, strong group. Um, I think there's a, there's a, a bit of, um, uh, like a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, like a mob mentality kind of like they all go together. They all really, um, uh, you see when we score a goal, how the, how the team is, is the team's pursuing the goal score. You know, they want to, they want to, um, they want to celebrate together. They want to, we try to press together. We try to be a collective unit. And so that, that type of, um, uh, feeling isn't just on game day. It's what we have to, uh, really adopt every single day. And, but we want to be, you know, we want to be the aggressor too. We don't just want to be going together and taking hits. Um, that's, that's not what Oakland is. That's not what, uh, the way we want to play football. Um, it's not who we want to be as a group. So, um, those things are really important, but there's also keys to emotional intelligence and respect that, that, um, that develop those, those ideas, um, on a daily basis. And especially when we're away, we can have better conversations with individuals. For some reason, Zoom meetings, uh, you know, you're able to really, uh, I think it's because you know, there's, there's, there's nobody that can come in. There's nobody else, whatever. I, just we, we've had some really good conversations with individuals and groups about, um, how they want the team to be and how we can develop the team as well as themselves as individuals, uh, within that. So. Is there is there a particular like philosophy or thing you're hearing from people? Because uh, are you talking about like outside folks? Or are you talking about the players themselves when you're talking to them? They have ideas for how they want the philosophy to be and the style of play to be. Well, from the style, I mean, the style of play is, is I would say set by Oakland. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I was when I was hired as a head coach, you know, my my perception of the club was that they wanted a, a style of play on the field that. Um, anybody who was from that diverse landscape of Oakland would feel uh, excited to see. Um, and that, that means that it has to have creativity. That means it has to have, um, I think because, you know, Oakland is a, a very um, tight place, just spatially. Um, we should play football that, that involves tight combination and tight movements and understanding of controlling space. Um, so those things, uh, I would say the aesthetic obviously should be variable. It should be something that, yeah, we're, we're direct, but we're also able to slow the game down. And, and so, um, I think that's more dictated by Oakland as a place and then the club's desire to, to really live out the values of the community, um, and be representative of, of the town. Um, so within that, when we talk to players, I think it's, it, the players are really giving, uh, more detail to it. You know, we're finding out what players we have and what they're capable of. And, um, you know, the team in the fall was different than the team in the spring. And so they, they, what they could express and the way they could play, um, is is different. And, uh, and the players even that are from this community give us a little added dimension and, and more knowledge on, on what things the community might value and the way that, that the team could better represent the community. So we listen to those things and then we add and then we share. We hear from one player, we, we, we pass to another player, another group, and, uh, and they add to it. So um, it, that's been a really good process during this time. So Jordan focused on keeping the squad together, making sure everybody's on the same page. Adris, from a front office perspective, what has gone into reopening? Like what have been the conversation, what have the conversations been like? Sort of what have you all had to consider and how smoothly has that process gone? Yeah, I mean, look, we have a resilient bunch in the front office. I mean, we, 
initially rolled out, you know, our first year with complete, you know, almost very little know-how. A lot of our organization are very fresh in their in their roles and responsibilities, including myself. Like I've never, you know, co-founded a sports organization or played a CMO role at, at this level. And so it was new for everyone. And I think that the uh, ability to listen to Oakland and take into consideration the community's input throughout every process uh, provided a bit of ease of thinking um, throughout, you know, every decision we've ever made. We make uh, Oakland first always lens on on every every decision that we have. And when we first had our our 2019 season, it was you know there, we didn't know what we were going to expect. We went into that August 31st game last year thinking. Are people going to show up? Are, you know, is this experience going to be good? And are people going to appreciate free hot dogs being thrown at them in, in the crowd during the games? I mean, there was complete question marks everywhere and ambiguity and it worked. And I, and I think what worked was um, our ability to be anthropologists in the, in the process, listen to the community, hear out what their interests are. Um, and a lot of these folks want to come to these games and enjoy um, you know, the environment together, they want to see each other and they want to be able to enjoy the, the product on the field. And so when that was stripped from us, the front office focus, especially on the operations, I mean, we had a strong uh, focus for our operations team on the game day, you know, the field, the setup, the experience. And when you extract that, there's question marks around, okay, well, how do you shift roles and responsibilities? And so marketing specifically, uh, turned um, direction and really focused on how to build demand and revenue on the on the digital side. Um, we began experimenting with drive-in watch parties on the operation side. We're currently looking into that very deeply to figure out how in these new new times can we still get people together but respect social distance measures and enjoy the sport of soccer in a in a bit of a different way. So. You know, we've shifted responsibilities a bit. Everyone's adapting. You know, we're not selling tickets for games given that they're closed door. So the sales staff has, uh, you know, shifted their focus to service folks and create new revenue streams out of this new situation. And a lot of it is QA testing, bro. I mean, we don't know what works and what doesn't. And, and a lot of people don't know. Um, it's just trying and, and seeing how things work. But we we're we believe that, you know, preserving the staff you know we didn't furlough anyone throughout the process i thought i thought that was an important part of the um the whole ordeal and I'm, we're grateful to have an investor group that believes that a group can shift the way they that the way thinking is usually done and come up with creative ways to generate sponsorship deals and i use the example of a gig car share that we were able to partner up on this past week with uh the cardboard cutout campaign uh, and so, you know, in the middle of a pande pandemic, we're able to get creative, um, put out a campaign that generates a little bit of revenue and demand, gets fans excited, and also builds relationships with local partners um, that believe in what we're doing. So proud of the staff for their shifting and thinking and, and the strong mentality. And that's, like Jordan said, a byproduct of Oakland. You got to have a little swagger in your step and a little confidence in, in what you do and um, you know, if you're fearful in the decision-making, you know, open will hold you to it. So, um, a lot of it is the community, man.
We will get back to my conversation with the fellows from the Oakland Roots in just a moment. But first, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Hawthorne. H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Hawthorne dot C-O. They make finding personalized products very easy, be it deodorant, shampoo, body wash. They have what you need, and they help you figure out exactly what you need. Basically, you take a quick two-minute quiz. Hawthorne tells you the two colognes, the two shampoos, the two body washes that you might need. Uh, I think my hair care set, uh, the shampoo and conditioner were recommended as the hydrating shampoo and then the calming conditioner. I do have very curly hair. I'm assuming that means my hair is stressed out. So maybe I need the calming conditioner to help it relax just a little bit. I'm assuming that's how hair works, but I am not an expert. But you could get something for uh, someone you love, uh, be it a father or a significant other, whomever that might be. Father's Day is, I believe, tomorrow at time of recording this ad. So uh, maybe you're a little bit behind, but you could get a coupon. You could sign them up. Why not? And then uh, there's a gift there. Uh, So if you wanted to pursue that route, you could check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne. Hawthorne.co, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E with an E, and then .co, uh, and use our code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co, use promo code TSS to get 10% off your first purchase. One more time, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. Thank you very much to Hawthorne for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Jordan and Idris from the Oakland Roots. So you all haven't furloughed anybody. It sounds like you've been actively involved in the lives of the citizens of Oakland. That's maybe more than some MLS teams have done. And those teams obviously have a bit more bankroll uh, when it comes to their daily operations. H- how is Oakland, uh, with the sort of budget you all have, playing the league you all are, able to do some of that work that larger organizations seem incapable of doing? Yeah, I think or unwilling a, to do either way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't speak to what their decision-making processes are, but I will say that. I mean, we're a smaller club, man. You know, like we're in our early stages of of growth, and we're able to be nimble. And I don't think that you know our front office is about uh, ten folks. We have six or seven in the technical side, and we scale the sixty or seventy part-time staff on game days. So you know, to begin with, we're a very nimble, small team, and we're able to be agile and shift roles and responsibilities. And, you know, when I hired uh, most of the marketing folks, I told them, look, these titles that you got are cool, but just know that in reality, in the back of your mind, uh, your your title is Swiss Army Knife until we hit mass scale. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we have quite a bit of ways to go to get to that level of an operation with MLS. And, you know, the decisions there get muddy, man. I mean, there's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of money involved. There's, you know, stadium operations are significantly more complex. So, you know, I can't speak to why they make the decisions they make. I know that business keeps the world turning um, in a sense. And, you know, that's the reality. But I think we found found a, a balance of being able to define what success looks like in soccer and the new wave of soccer being driven by uh, a community effort, you know, similar to the European model where, uh, a lot of these clubs are, you know, you know, s- several years old, hundreds of years old, right? And they all are founded on the premise of community and and club and camaraderie and and friendship, and it becomes something that's ingrained in people's blood and their identity. And and there's a reason why we we have that the taglines "Know your roots" in Oakland first always. Uh, knowing your roots um, helps you know where you're going. And uh, Oakland first always really just means that you subscribe to the notion of arts, diversity, culture, humanities, all the things that make Oakland great, which can also mean that you can be from anywhere in the world to to appreciate our message. And I think that is the way in which strong brands can exist in, in American soccer. It's not thinking about parking a bus or, 
you know, bringing a stadium in. Eventually, clubs that get to that level have to deal with it. But it starts with the common people. The common people are the people that are going to show up to the games. They're the folks that are going to buy jerseys. They're the folks that are going to engage on social. And if if teams aren't thinking about uh, people first, which are, you know, the number one thing in, in sports, uh, you start to really dwindle uh, in your purpose. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that all that all certainly plays a huge part in the sort of connectivity with the city and the connectivity people feel with the team. Winning, scoring goals also a big part of that. Jordan, for you as the head coach, how much has your position or what you see as your position evolved in the last couple months or even the last couple of weeks, both with coronavirus and then with the uh, George Floyd protests and the resulting kind of movement that has sprung up from that? Do you see yourself sort of at, like as an important arbiter of what's happening and helping people understand it and process it? Or are you sort of more so focused on getting people back on the field and getting them to play? Um, yeah, I, I'm absolutely. I see myself uh, involved in that, in that process. And, you know, it, in, in some ways, it's beneficial that we've had all of the dialogue that we've had during the last couple months preceding um, that kind of taking over the media, um, I would say. Um, so we were, you know, we were in a space where we talked with our team about a lot of different things. And then this happened. And, and I say it happened because it, it, it occurred and then also the ripple from, from the media. Um, and it happened while we were returning to the field. So, yes, there's a lot going on. We're starting to get guys back. We're starting, you know, trying to make sure. Obviously, ours did, our days change as coaches because we're not just in front of the computer all day. Now we're back on the field. Um, but it, it, it happened in a way, kind of the timeline of it all. It happened in a way where, where you know, we had – a team that was was open to having good dialogue about a lot of different things. And that then became a, a really good opportunity for us to to talk. And, and so, um, you know, obviously we're in Oakland protests uh, are, are well known here um, as well as um, you know, the fight for civil rights for black and Brown people. So um, it, it's a, it's a, an important moment for the entirety of society, but the way it's lived out here in Oakland, our players are, are um, confronting things and, and uh, situations that they've never seen before. Or, uh, and so a lot of our players, it was um, uh, the first time that they'd had open dialogue about um, issues affecting black people in this way. Um, And that's terrific. Uh, for some of our guys, it's the first time they shared their stories about uh, about their experiences or other experiences of, of friends, family um, with things like um, the George Floyd incident or with things like the Ahmaud Aubrey incident or with things like the Amy Cooper incident. All of those are different lived experiences of black people. And, uh, you know, our team then was in a, a space where players were able to share both players um, who had never confronted things like that players uh, also players of color and uh, other white players, but then also, you know, the, the, the black players felt comfortable talking to their teammates and the conversations and the dialogue that have come out of it have been really, really important and influential. And, you know, just the other day, uh, you know, from the club standpoint, first of all, I think it's really important that I, as a, as a coach, felt confident having those conversations with, with, with players and not every club um, handles these situations the way that our club leadership has. Um, and big credit to them that, that, you know, they, they set the tone on how to handle this. 
Um, but my job was simply to, to empower the players to have those conversations and to, and to start to navigate what the ways in which they can influence uh, and really move the needle on issues like this. And it, the, the, the ideas that these guys have come out with um, over the, over the dialogue over the last couple of weeks have been incredible. Um, and, and he can, he can speak to some of the things that they've actually approached him about. Um, but guys talking about policy, talking about, um, you know, uh, strategies of, of teaching or having conversations with people who have never engaged on race. It's all those things that, that come out of that, that, you know, my job simply to, to empower them and, and guide them, um, to, to where they can use their, their influence, um, and, and for a positive purpose. Adris, did you want to add anything there? I don't, I don't want to uh, uh, like exclude you from the dialogue at all. Uh, no, I appreciate it. I mean, look, it's, this is a tremendously important time. And I think, um, you know, the role that we have in sports is that we have, and the role that we have as an organization in Oakland is that there's a diverse amount of people and the black community is a pillar in our our brand it's a pillar in the community and and that's we we really hold that to high value and so when um all these things came about it was important to note that it was not new right like this has been a systemic problem for a very long time and so the solutions to these as a small organization in oakland is really to leverage the folks in Oakland that have incredible stories. It's to tell them more frequently, to bring awareness about certain causes or, uh, you know, protests that are occurring. Our players, um, you know, give an example, just called on many occasions saying, hey, we're, we're going to this rally. We're going to this protest. I hope it's okay with you. And our answer to that it always is, of course, what, what do you need? Like, do you need masks? Do you need T-shirts? Do you need towels? You know, can we provide you with legal resources in case you ever need that? Like this, the Roots platform is your platform. And we've made that very apparent to our, our front office, our players and the rest of the world. Uh, we put out a statement very early on in the process. And then, you know, what had occurred in the past month is organizations almost felt left out if they put it, didn't put a message out. So it became a PR play. And so our actions have to always be louder than our words. And that's how we built this club. I mentioned this early on when we brought our players on board is, you know, a, a brand, uh, people often, you know, there's a misconception that you just slap a logo on a t-shirt and there you go, you, you have it, there it is, you know, a soccer team, a brand. But that's generally not how iconic, momentous, you know, you know time-shifting uh, organizations are built. It's when you are living up to the assumptions that people have of you, it's the artifacts, it's the actionable things that you put out into the world. And so for us, it's providing resources to uh, underserved Black areas in this time that are hit by COVID. It's working with organizations like Eat, Learn, Play to ensure that folks have food and are healthy during these times. It's telling uh, stories around black skaters in Oakland. It's telling stories about nonprofits in Oakland that are black owned. Um, it's all of these things that we've been pushing forward. And by the way, it's not just about the black person too. I think that it's important that we hear the perspective of white people as well in these times, given that some of our front office staff even have, you know, they're in interracial marriages and they have black kids. And use the example of our director of ticket sales, Aaron, who wrote an incredible piece on Medium about how he grew up white, but his son is black and how 
he's dealing with the complexities around that subject in the real world. Um, our chief purpose officer, Mike, organized a, a uh, 8.46 mile uh, run where he was able to fundraise uh, capital and get some of our, our white players and staff members to, to join. It's, it's things of that sort that is allowing for our platform to be something more than just a, a sports team or a soccer team. And that's why we call ourselves a sports club. It's because it's, it's bigger than that. It's about city pride. It's about change. And believe it or not, I think we've uh, turned into a political organization at this point. So that that doesn't really surprise me, I'll say, because uh, from that same uh, radio interview, uh, this quote that stood out to me from Jordan was protest is a really important part of the human process, especially mm. for those who uh, don't have traditional access to power. That one resonated. That one felt like uh, <laughs> I'm not surprised to hear you all then uh, backing your players when they go protest. We are recording this on Juneteenth. We're recording this uh, after the Premier League is back underway where we had the players uh, with Black Lives Matters on the back. They, they took the knee before the game started. Is mm. that something that you all would like to see more teams and organizations do in this country when sports come back, when soccer comes back? Or does that feel, at least right now, sort of more like the PR play that you mentioned? I, I mean, Jordan can can answer this too, but I think it's a bit of both, bro. I think there's, yes, you got to put out the messaging because it's important. Like awareness is key. The more people see the hashtag Black Lives Matter you know, that that helps the, the movement gain momentum. It helps eyeballs get on, on the, the subject. But I also think that, uh, you know, when people speak about it, it's it's one thing, but it's being actionable that's other. You know, there's so much uh, local policy that we can start impacting as we grow our organization. There's other organizations that can do the same. So the encouragement is great, amazing. You know, do the things that spread awareness take the knee, you know, have a stance, do whatever you need to do to spread that message. But there has to be follow through there and there has to be sustainable action because what I don't want in our world is for this to be the reality for the future. Like this cannot be the world in which we live in uh, as we build towards a solution. So it needs to change and needs to change for the better. And the only way that can happen is tangible, sustainable action. And there's a lot that goes under that. But I do think that the, the messaging and the PR is, is absolutely needed for sure. Yeah. And as far as our, our, you know, our players protesting, I've said since, since day one, it's up to the players to choose what's right for them. Um, right. You know, it's a, it's a platform for them. And if they choose to, to do so, um, you know, so be it. But uh, to, to, to tell somebody, Hey, if you have to do it in this way, or, you know, obviously yeah. there's, people to be safe and smart and, and, and be productive with it, be part something that moves actually um, the conversation forward. Cause in these times, there's certainly um, opportunity to incite, uh, uh, you know, something the other direction. Um, but right. I think for, for me, it's just making sure that the, the, the players know, Hey, if that's, if that's what you feel, um, you know, let's, let's talk about it. Let's make sure that, that, that we're clear on it. And then we're, we're going to support you. Cause it's the same thing that we did with these protests. We said, Hey, be safe. And these are the things you got to consider to be safe. Um, if something, you know, could get out of hand or et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it was, uh, that we'll take the same approach throughout and and as E said, that's for me. That's the most important thing because what we're the long term is 
this is this has been a reality and it will continue to be a reality. We're going to move the needle. We're going to change um, and we're going to make it a this place, uh, uh, this world, a, a more positive place for people of color and for white people um, uh, and for, for all people is the preference. That's the long term goal. We just have to not get wrapped up in the, the media moment that's right mm-hmm. now. Hey, everybody, this is Taylor interrupting one last time, I promise, to let you know about today's sponsor, Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12. They're super consumable and easy to take on the go. They're also very easy to eat because they're gummies. They're delicious. There's also like a tincture that you can drop underneath your tongue. It works that way. Uh, They have the energy shot, the YOLO shot that I believe Daryl was interested in. I don't know the effects of his YOLO shot. We'll have to find that out next time. Uh, But I have been enjoying the Sunday Scaries. As Daryl said, they do indeed like help you kind of focus down. You cut out some of the noise in your brain, and you can focus in on what you're trying to focus on, which for me is Manchester United being frustrating. Uh, but then also sometimes, you know, reading a book can just be a little bit easier when you're really like focused on it, when you're really uh, enveloped in it. And uh, CBD certainly has helped me with that. Sunday Scaries have also become a leading CBD brand for millennials. Last year, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies and CBD oil won top accolades from Forbes, Men's Health, Allure, and Best Products. So if you're intrigued, if you're enticed, you can get 25% off your first order with the code SOCCER at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com and enter the code SOCCER where it asks for a coupon on the checkout page. You can basically go to the site, find out what product might be best for you, and then use that code SOCCER to get 25% off that first order. Thank you very much to Sunday Scaries for sponsoring today's episode. Now back one more time to the fellows from the Oakland Roots. And so if if teams, let's say, do want to take action, don't want to just cu- get caught up in the media moment, and hopefully we're not just part of the media moment as well, uh, I, I hope to back up my yeah, words no. with action. But for teams that want to do that, it does feel like you all have done a very good job of reaching out to people in the community who might not otherwise be soccer fans, might not have grown up being soccer fans, and you've sort of started to get some, some eyes on the team. You've got some people in. People are starting to take notice. That does seem to be a rare thing in the U.S. when it comes to professional soccer. I think a lot of times teams are looking to make as much money as they can, and so they're trying to get in as many as people, whoever they might be. I'm wondering if there are things that you all think that worked well that teams could emulate in terms of reaching out to communities that don't normally have access to soccer or haven't grown up playing it and and getting them involved. Yeah, I'll speak to the... uh you know, the marketing side of things and, and sponsorships. And then Jay can probably speak to the soccer component. But, you know, it's it's funny, man. I mean, the way I've grown up and I've seen how sports organizations interact with communities, it just feels a bit disconnected because oftentimes sports are billion-dollar organizations and the streets are the streets, right? And if you look at the dissonance and the difference between what street culture is and what urban communities go through on a daily basis. It's a completely different world than what, you know, billion dollar organizations experience on a daily. So there's naturally going to be a bit of a, a disconnect. And so the important thing for us is like, if the traditional method of getting young kids to games was to throw tickets at schools and communities, how do we as an organization, given that we're very nimble and about community, change that assumption. And so we went to Kaiser Permanente last year and we said, hey, look, we have an idea. Um, It's going to take a little bit of cash to manage this process and to create this. But we think that giving kids tickets is not the end all be all. It's actually the issue. The true issue is transportation. 
it's healthy meals at the game and it's getting them back home. So last year we bust about 400 kids from OUSD to our, our soccer games and we fed them healthy meals through this sponsorship campaign that we had with Kaiser. We told incredible stories about organizations that participated in the, the series of bus rides. And, you know, young kids of color went home ambassadors of Oakland Roots and fans for life. And I think that's how you begin to change the narrative, right? People talk about equality, equity, justice, like it's, it's access. Like get the kids to the game that don't normally have the ability to get to the game. Allow them to see people playing on the field that remind them of themselves. And this is why we do have some Oakland players on the team. And I, we use the example of Johannes Harris, who, you know, was uh, came through the Soccer Without uh, Borders program and now is their first professional soccer player ever playing on our team and started a couple games this past season. And so those are the, the tangible pathways. And of course, we have the uh, Project 510, our development academy and team that is tapping into um, the 510 area code um, to pull from the talent pool and base. Um, and it's also storytelling, man. Um, I think sports organizations and organizations in general should be telling more stories about the common people. And we, we learned through our conversations with sponsors that traditional advertisement in stadium is we're moving away from those days and people are interested in experiential marketing. They're interested in deep emotional stories. And those are the things that are going to cause the needle to move. And I think I disagree with people thinking that impact and community disconnect you from revenue. I think that if you do one, it actually supplements the other. And that's where the big misconception is in the world today. Like the community will always back us and we'll sell out games and we'll come and have a good time and buy merch if we're always doing good in the community. So they're related. And uh, Jordan, uh, I wanted to give you the same opportunity I gave Idris earlier. I don't want to yeah, cut you out either. I would No, I would just second what he said. You know, it, it's um, the priority for us is making sure that the on-field product is something that can be inspiring to the people that they're bringing to the stand. Um, it can be, you know, people as well, not just people from Oakland like Johannes, but also other, the diversity should represent um, right. what they see when they walk the streets um, throughout the, throughout the team. And, and so, you know, and, and getting those kids in, kids, families in and and seeing our game day experience. Um, that's how uh, from a technical side, um, that's how we're inspiring people. And then, you know, the long term process for us on the technical side is to build avenues to the first team for kids from within the community. Project 510 is one example. Um, you know, we're building an ID program and building scouting of, of um, youth players so that we're identifying talents younger and then we're getting them into a system and there is a clear pathway for them into the first team. You know, uh, that's a, that's going to be a tough pathway for sure because there's a difference between when you start the team and then the years afterwards when you see, right. okay, I see this guy in the first team whose place I have to take. Um, but that's also inspiring and then you get, hopefully down the line, you get a, a, a player arriving in the first team who was a ball boy or, you know, um, uh, slapped hands with, with the players walking off the field right. or signed autographs afterward. Mm -hmm. And for five, six years, he's just dreamt about being in the first team. That guy's going to play a whole lot different for our first team, um, you know, when he finally arrives. So, um, and that's going to change the, the, the neck of the woods that he's from, their connection to our club. So, 
they're going to sell tickets and merch and, and and all that kind of stuff is going to uh, those are going to be the rewards that are reaped from that process. So um, yeah. I agree with E on that. Yeah, and there's no what? substitute for winning. I'm sorry to interject, but no, 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 there's, there's there's definitely no substitute for winning, right? Like in sports, I think winning generally leads to inspiration from communities, leads to further ticket sales, leads to you know excitement around the brand. We saw it with people like MJ and the Bulls, where the Bulls organization was not as hot. And then you get a, a young kid coming out of NC and then, you know, things completely change and winning turns the city upside down and creates a new wave and a generation of people that believe in, in a message and believe in a person and in a, in a brand. So I, I think winning, um, obviously, in sports is highly important, too. It's a part of our fabric, like it's part of our swagger in Oakland. So, and and to win, you gotta have you gotta have bodies. You gotta have bodies that maybe have come through the system and and sort of know exactly how you want them to play. And I'm assuming with that in mind, Project Five Ten factors into what you all are trying to do and your sort of long term plans for growth and development. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And they need to practice winning. Winning isn't something that you uh, learn to do, you know, overnight. It's a, it becomes a habit. It becomes a mentality. It becomes a daily process. Um, and, and that's, that's what that is, uh, that program set up to do. Mm-hmm. And and can you can you talk a little bit more about Five Ten for people who who aren't as familiar? I've only read a little bit about it, but I was still pretty amazed that you are able to have a, a, like another team in operation. That is not usually the case with some teams in even USL USL Championship. Yeah, I mean the idea is that there, there's there's steps to it, right? We 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 even at the first team level, you know, there's eleven guys who start, and uh, you know, right now in Nisa you get five subs. So 16 players that can play. Well, you know, our roster, um, we want to make sure that the bottom of the roster is, is, um, getting opportunities to play and develop. And more so when we, when we look at what, uh, what it takes to win at the professional level. Um, we also know that some players from this, area aren't there yet they're not ready to contribute at the professional level in the first team but they could be and they could be if they're in our environment and they learn our values they learn our way of training they get exposure to the first team um through scrimmages through training sessions through uh uh you know me going out and watching training or our gm you know is the is the head coach of project 510 right now so it's the there's quite a few players that are rostered in our first team that are also able to play with our second team um and that process is is just starting so the idea behind project 510 is to cast a wider net in our local area um to be able to find players get them into our ranks and then once they're in our ranks uh then they have to they have to do their part as much as our system is set up to uh facilitate them getting into our first team to help us win. And then with the Warriors uh, moving to San Francisco with the Raiders moving again, uh, does that leave you all as the only professional team in Oakland? Other than the A's, yes. Um, oh, yeah, of course, right. Baseball's yeah, still a thing. Yeah, Baseball's still around. <laughs> yeah. um, I, would, you know, I would say, though, uh, Benno, uh, my co-founder, and I, you know, little background story is that Benno obviously is a born and raised Oakland cat. And, um, you know, he had come to me one day over soccer, obviously that's the connection point. And he had said, look, dude, like we sell out 16, 17,000 people when Chivas and club America come to the Coliseum. Like why the hell don't we have a, a professional soccer team here? 
um, that people can support. And so the the premise of the idea was was that there was a tremendous diverse soccer base in the Bay Area, despite other teams actually being in existence. This was three and a half, four years ago. As we began to build out the concept of the roots, it just happened to be that the Warriors found a, a different financial incentive in building a, a stadium in San Francisco, you know, and then the Raiders uh, dip into Las Vegas. Um, you know, the Warriors still have an incredible tie to the connection for sure, or to the, to the Oakland, but it's not the same. Steph loves Oakland. Obviously he's here has provided, you know, a lot of, of a lot of money and support to the community over the past several years, believes in the community. But when you go to a, a game in San Francisco versus a game in Oakland, you can see that there's a, a bit of a demographic shift for sure. And the Coliseum and, and the vibe that was created there just can't be replicated anywhere else in the world. And I, my belief, I think it's actually one of the, the best facilities in the world when it comes to sporting, you know, the transportation, the locale, being in Oakland, a sports city. Um, you know, there's a, a gaping hole there. And I think that um, the way in which we kind of came about the timing you know, it really is somewhat of a bit of luck and given that people are looking for something and they're craving for something that they can connect to. And it just happened to be that we had created a club that was truly about connection and community and people. And it really fit that that puzzle piece perfectly um, in that time frame. So we're quite lucky in that in that regard to be a team. One of the un, uh, only other teams, um, of course, with the A's that Oaklands can be proud of and be fans of. But they're not coming back yet. You all already are. So you got that leg up. You've got that advantage. <laughs> you said uh, there might be a little bit of luck involved. I'll add this, though, that like we're ba- we record out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, I have seen multiple people wearing Oakland Roots gear because it is <laughs> very, very nice. Like you all have got your branding down. When it comes to like the battle of the lower league teams with uh, really good uh, like swag, really good jerseys, that sort of thing. Is it basically you all versus Ford Madison? Is that how we see it? Uh, I think it's us against us. <laughs> sorry <All right>. to <laughs> say. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I, shots you know, fired there. All I, right. look, I mean, it's not just shots fired. This is this is the Oakland mentality, man. I mean, it's um, we're not you know somebody trying to be the best. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Exactly. Yeah. Just just come to a game. You know, you you'll see, and you look out in the into the crowd. It's a uh, it's a it's a vi- it's a party, man. And I know that there's a lot of incredible lower division teams. You know, Ford Madison. I know that even New Mexico United is doing a wonderful job at building their brand and identity in the USL Championship. Um, you know, we built our club on the premise of like the likes of Detroit City and Chattanooga early stages. Benno and I were having multiple discussions with them about how do you build a brand from from nothing and how do you grassroots grow something? You know, and so. Shout out to all these these clubs for sure, but you know the competitive nature in in me and I'm sure Jay and everyone else on the team is that we just want to be the best and um, if that means you know winning our league, uh, having a killer brand, having one of the best teams in lower division soccer, you know all of that like we want it all. You know <laughs> that's our mentality for the club. So. Yeah, I feel like the 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 branding of like the actual logos you all have and like the, the graphics are pretty solid, and you combine like branding with feeding kids lunch, and I feel like that's a pretty solid one-two process there. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, aesthetic is, is super important, man. I mean, Jordan talked about aesthetic on the field, right? Like, you should be able to wear Oakland roots and feel like you can go to fashion week and still feel comfortable. Like, wearing roots makes you an instant superhero. And that's the vibe that we try to create in everything that we do. It's it's a it's like a level up for humanity when when there's a connection to it and when you wear the merchandise and when people see it there's this instant sense of emotion like oh you're from Oakland or you believe in arts and diversity and culture and you know that so that creating that uh, ethos and in the way we present ourselves and the way we put out messaging it's highly important I mean we debate tweets for two hours sometimes thinking about the language and ensuring that you know it's it's the right message and that it's not sounding like it's coming from a person but a voice for people and that's that's a huge difference in our digital and social approach is that we're not it's not a single person behind the screen tweeting it's a collective of thought uh, highly scrutinized um, and thought about a lot because we have a lot of people that appreciate us so. Uh, well, I appreciate you all taking all this time. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more, but I did want to ask one more question. Uh, I know that I have not been the most physically fit uh, during this time period when we have been you know, quarantined and trying not to do too much. Uh, I am also not a professional athlete. Jordan, how has it been with the players coming back? Have most of them like stayed pretty fit or are you having to do a lot of uh, beat tests and wind sprints and that sort of thing? No, no. I, actually, our guys were pretty good. Um, I think, you know, each one of them was they're, they're professionals and they knew they needed to take that responsibility while while away. Um, and uh, and that goes that speaks, I think, directly to the culture that we have, not just the culture that represents Oakland, but the performance culture and trying to get guys in that that. You know, we don't have to we don't have to ride them and call them and all that kind of stuff. But they're they're actually, you know, they're showing up fit. And most of our guys, you know, it's natural. They're home. They they might gain a little bit of weight. But most of our guys um, still were at a level of fitness where we can, you know, we can move through these first couple of weeks with without any any major issues. Um, and we're lucky we have a, a, a longer ramp up um, to the, the fall season. Um, which is, is nice for the, the one or two that need a little extra care. Um, but for the most part, our guys have been pretty good and we've been, um, we've been able to hit the ground running on the field. All right. Well, Jordan Farrell, Adris Arganderwal, thank you all both very much for taking the time uh, to talk with me today to let our listeners know all about Oakland Roots. Thanks, man. Black Lives Matter. Appreciate you. Thanks a lot, Taylor.